0: Welcome to Let's Talk Memoir, a podcast for memoir lovers, readers, and writers. I'm your host, Ronit Plank. Today my guest is Jane Wong, who is the author of the debut memoir, Meet Me Tonight in Atlantic City, out now from Tin House. She is also the author of two books of poetry, How to Not Be Afraid of Everything from Alice James and Overpour from Action Books. She holds an MFA in poetry from the University of Iowa and a PhD in English from the University of Washington and is an associate professor of creative writing at Western Washington University. Her poems can be found in places such as Best American Non-Required Reading 2019, Best American Poetry 2015, The New York Times, American Poetry Review, Poetry, The Kenyon Review, New England Review, and others. Her essays have appeared in places such as McSweeney's, Black Warrior Review, Echotone, The Common, The Georgia Review, Shenandoah, and Want Women Writing About Desire. A Kundaman Fellow, she is the recipient of a Pushcart Prize and fellowships and residencies from the U.S. Fulbright Program, Artist Trust, Harvard's Woodbury Poetry Room, Four Culture, the Fine Arts Work Center, Breadloaf, Hedgebrook, Willapa Bay, the Gentel Foundation, U-Cross, Mineral School, the Barbara Deming Memorial Fund, Loghaven, and others. She grew up in a Chinese-American restaurant on the Jersey Shore and lives in Seattle. Welcome, Jane. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me, Ronnie. I'm so glad that you're here and really, really excited to talk about this book, which is so, so many things. And I don't even get into how I would describe your book until we talk a little bit about what you would like to share about Meet Me Tonight in Atlantic City.
1: Oh my goodness! Thank you for those kind words. I I feel almost kind of like how do I do that like tiny little elevator pitch uh, for well, my book? Oh my Feel God. free, feel free. I
0: usually do like I usually it's like an elevator pitch, but it's not. It's whatever exactly. you want it to be. Like if someone said, "Well, what is this book, and how is it different from your poetry collections?"
1: Yes, yes. I, I like to describe, I, I think the book kind of like a um, giant like hot pot meal, which I just had <laughs> yesterday. It's full of a lot of different ingredients that go into one gigantic pot, which is uh, ultimately the pot of kind of like my mother, basically mm. a, a love song for my mother. But a lot of those ingredients include kind of like, you know, my working class, like low income kind of upbringing and growing up in a Chinese American takeout restaurant and uh, my father's um, disappearance from our family, especially as a gambler. He, you know, I write a lot about in the book about how he kind of gambled um, our restaurant away when he went to Atlantic City. Um, But it's also about kind of like me as an adult and my terrible ex boyfriends. And it's also about love and community and trying to find your, your people. And, you know, in many ways, it's also about being a poet and being a writer and what it means to also be uh, a Chinese American woman. So Mm -hmm. it's about a lot of things, but it's all boiling and kind of in this pot um, that keeps returning to my mother. Ultimately, she's mm. she is the true star. I make this terrible <laughs> joke that I'm just the off brand serial version of her. You
0: know? Oh, my gosh, your love for her, your awe of her and your curiosity about her are, you know, run throughout the book. And so do so many references to I mean, the particular which I'm going to get to in a second, because it's just teeming with I mean, there's so many details here and lots of food references, yes. especially, you know, you just used that analogy of hot pot. And I love food as a way to describe how I'm feeling and what I like and the way life is. And I feel like writing something like this, absolutely, that's just the best description I could have imagined. And mm-hmm. I'm curious because your other two books were poetry books. Mm-hmm. And I think you began in poetry. Is that right?
1: You know, super secretly, I began as a fiction writer. Um, <laughs> super secret. <laughs> I know, I know. Back in college, I only wrote fiction, and I stumbled upon poetry kind of by accident. Um, mm. But, and then I just pursued it. I just kind of fell in love with just, like, the, the the wild range of, like, what you can do with music and line breaks. It's like tinkering, you know? Mm. It's very... Mm. Uh, I guess it can be whatever you want it to be, which I, I love. I mean, so, so is memoir.
0: <laughs> so. Well, right. I mean, the, the more I study, the more I realize so many things are, are just worth breaking what's expected. It's mm-hmm. worth just trying something new because people usually love it. Uh, when did you know that you wanted to write an actual memoir? And how did approaching this material or the project feel different or feel similar to the poetry you write?
1: That's such a great question. And, you know, I kind of wrote uh, the memoir at the same time as my second book of poetry. So they kind of like go hand in hand in many ways um, in my thinking back to that time. But I, as a poet, I'm absolutely obsessed and hopefully it comes across with like imagery and description and Mm -hmm. sensory details. And I guess the like visceral synesthesia of growing up in a restaurant and the smells and the tastes and the the, the, the texture of things. And I think that, you know, in a poem, I often will lead with that and just not, you know, reflect or really say anything in terms of like how I felt, um, because it just sits there in that image of a slug, for instance. Mm. Whereas I think in memoir, I really wanted to take this leap of, um, I don't know, like sitting in my experiences through reflection, Um, And also through extended research and scene building, I realized that, you know, for instance, the story of, you know, my father and gambling in Atlantic City and how that, you know, really was an experience that was personal, but also collective, you know, that Mm -hmm. so many Asian American people came up to me um, as this book has come out and said like, oh, wow, my uncle also has a gambling addiction and it really deeply affected our family and, you know, how we're in many ways, a lot of low-income immigrant families are targeted. They pick up in Chinatown for a reason.
0: You know, I didn't know that at yes, all until yes. you wrote about it in the book, yeah.
1: Yep, and it's often um, a history and, you know, an ongoing kind of experience that a lot of people don't talk about because it is, you know, really shameful oftentimes mm-hmm. and things we don't really want to share with other people beyond our family, and so it feels less lonely, actually, to write this book um, and to know that I wasn't the only one, the, not the only kid that was sitting out uh, outside of the casino hall. Um, I just distinctly called it the Velvet World because mm-hmm. the carpets were so plush <laughs> in my memory. It's just like once I couldn't enter the casino where the tables were and just was always on the outside looking in and waiting for my father. But yeah, I think that being a poet, I really wanted to bring all that visceral energy into the scenes that that happened in here and the stories that happened to me and my family but I definitely found it uh, you know really challenging to reflect um, and sit there really? with like my feelings yes
0: <laughs> did you have editors or trusted readers who pushed you into that direction or did you instinctively know oh boy this this is what is required here
1: No, I definitely did not instinctively know that. I actually struggled a lot because in poetry, you just have the image or the metaphor and you just leave. Like it just, you know, you just are like, that's, you understand what I'm saying. This is for you. This is for you. Goodbye. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And so I was really grateful for my editor, Elizabeth Demio, who would give me notes as to kind of like, oh, you need to stay here longer and tell me, you know, how that feels now. And I, I certainly had four um, readers that um, read the book in the early form that gave me feedback on those moments of where they wanted a bit more just like staying in the moment and reflecting and, and describing you know what this meant on a larger scale too and so I found the memoir very vulnerable to write mm. um, and I don't know if I feel the same way about poetry I find that poetry for me feels like um a, a much more confident and um, powerful self, whereas mm. the memoir is kind of like my, you know, messy mascara is running, kind mm. of like snot is like running
0: from my ugly cries, mm. <laughs> you know, kind of yeah. type of writing for me. Did you feel when you were writing the memoir that you were wearing a mask, or that you had a particular voice or narrative persona at play, or? You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I wonder if you felt like it was very different from who you are on a regular basis or not.
1: You know, this is actually probably the, the closest to who I am as a regular person in any of my writing, actually, because I think that there are moments in the memoir where I'm pretty goofy or I hope the book is kind of funny as much as it mm-hmm. is heartbreaking at times. And I never am funny in poems. I find that (laughs) so strange that I'm just a total weirdo goofball. And I really wanted that to come out in the memoir. Like, you know, there's a chapter called Root Canal Street, which I think is a hilarious title for something quite, you know, uh, heartbreaking, which is like, you know, my family couldn't afford uh, dental care. And so we went to illegal dentists in Chinatown. And so, but Root Canal Street, that's pretty funny. Um, So I really hope and trying to find the grandma who is going to lead us to the legal dentist is kind of a funny scene where mm-hmm. you know you have to bribe her with baked goods and so really that is the one of the like kind of multiple parts of myself show up in the memoir that often don't come out in my poetry mm. um so it's more of like I guess like putting on all my outfits I suppose and yeah. like, I love fashion too I should <laughs> it's like fashion food and books. Like these are the the
0: things that circulate around my life. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, it's okay. So I was picking out some examples to share here Mm -hmm. so we can talk about this, but the specific and descriptive way that you write all the time, which I knew, you know, I'm I'm not as experienced in poetry, but I absolutely knew this was because of your background in poetry. And so some of these examples that I want to share here and then ask about is, Mm -hmm. um, I pulled three different examples from the book and I could have just pulled pretty much the whole book, but I had to, settle on three so here's one quote the gasoline slush of January snow Here's another one. I was Pepto-Bismol nauseous with her silence. And here's another one. We fed each other spoonfuls of grape Fanta like hummingbirds. So this Mm -hmm. is just everywhere throughout the book. And I'm not saying that I picked these three in particular for a reason because they show one kind of writing as much as how they show your particularity. And I was wondering what it feels like to work this way. If If you can even try to put someone who might not work this way into your uh, brain a little bit how do you hone this skill especially if you don't think of yourself as a poet or have experience in it what does it feel like when you're searching for the descriptions for the way to explain something and show something is it a leap of faith a mood is it just patience knowing that you'll get there and and how do you know that you're on to something
1: oh thank you so much for Pointing those out. I actually so I always forget what I write. So it's always like, (laughs) oh yeah, the Pepto Bismol moment, right? Um, You know, I feel like the way I go about those moments of imagery in particular and sensory detail is me as a kid, honestly. I try to go back to my like eight year old, 10 year old self where I'm just like, just amazed by eating, you know, durian for the first time and trying to describe what that tastes like to someone. Um, I feel like there is an imaginative element to the descriptions that really send me back to childhood. I think Mm -hmm. like I always try to tap into my younger self when I'm trying to describe something. Um, I always think of it as an amazing challenge to try Mm -hmm. to get as close as possible to that feeling and to describing something because you'll never exactly do it, um, Mm -hmm. but you will get as close as possible. And so even thinking about the image of me and my brother like feeding each other um, Fanta grape soda with spoons like hummingbirds like to me that's so tender and Mm -hmm. so tiny and like Mm -hmm. the little beating hearts of those those birds like we were that to each other, you Mm -hmm. know, we were trying to nourish each other in this, this way that, you know, we were also um, kind of, uh, I don't know, precarious, I suppose, Mm -hmm. in that moment. Um, in our family and so that was really hard you know like Hmm. it's so different when you try to get as specific as possible it wasn't any type of bird it was a hummingbird Mm -hmm. Um, or thinking about you know Pepto-Bismol that's so specific too but Mm -hmm. um, I'm thinking of another sometimes I will revise for these images they don't come immediately definitely Mm -hmm. it takes a lot of time and I would just suggest that you know if writers are kind of like trying to kind of work through you know what image works there is to tap patience with it and try a few different things and like you said it is a leap of faith it is totally like <laughs> i hope my reader gets this um and sometimes i will go as far as possible just to hope that the reader will come along with me it's that wonderful moment in metaphors that relationship between i'm getting poetry, the tenor and the vehicle <laughs> whereas the vehicle is th- as far as you can go like let's let's see how far you can go in terms of that associative leap, right? The descriptive mm. leap. I love trying to put pressure on that like a yeah, like a pressure
0: cooker. It, yeah, it's, it's almost like a prompt. I mean, it seems it like is. it's almost like a, a an innate prompt each time. Okay, go it's farther. Absolutely. Go farther. Go, go farther. farther.
1: <laughs> and trust your reader. That's the thing is like I think that, you know, I know myself as a reader. I love it when I feel like the the writer is trying to bring me somewhere, and I I need to trust the the, the writer to take me there. And I will do I will eat all the little bits of cheese along the way. You know, I'm just like <laughs> following the path, um, and just trusting in it. So I, yeah, but it is something. Certainly, is my favorite thing to do. I actually had to stop myself multiple times from going, like to descriptive it was really hard Uh, it was really hard because it's a big it's a big book compared to a book of poems 70 pages yeah is poems
0: do you ever just leave it I mean do you ever just say I'm just gonna call it a white wall (laughs)
1: <laughs> yep and actually it breaks it breaks my heart a little bit I'll be honest it, it really bothers me people call this memoir so poetic and I'm just like wait really because in my mind I'm like oh I could have gone further but oh, interesting. Um, yes I had to stop myself multiple times I'm just that person that's just like constantly I'm a maximalist I think that's mm. maybe part of it is that I'm I will never be a minimalist I, I just in life anything mm-hmm. like I I just love color. I love um, stuff. like, <laughs> And maybe my writing's like that, too.
0: Well, also, and I think, is it fair to say, and you can correct me and tell me what it is, the better way to say it, but the, it starts with a feeling, perhaps, this idea that you and your brother are sitting there and you remember the great Fanta, mm-hmm. uh, for example, and then you are trying to, I wonder, catch a feeling or capture what it was like to actually be there, right. what what the way, the gestures, or the way you were moving, or the way you might have been huddled together, or something, yes. and so then you go from there. That because you want the reader to really understand that you weren't just you know sipping soda. That's right. different, right, right, yeah. That yeah. it's
1: definitely for me an emotional weight. The, all mm-hmm. those those moments of imagery and metaphor are meant to move us, um, zoom in super, super close, like nose close in order to, to feel that moment emotionally. Um, because, you know, I think dialogue and scene building and reflecting does a lot of work around it. It can't all be description. Um, Mm. and so like, I try to balance that out the best I can, I suppose, when I'm writing. And I think that, Sometimes when you slow down to give those tiny details, it sometimes can be quite vast. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's also something I thought a lot about is kind of like, how do I zoom in, zoom out in ways Mm -hmm. that feel like um, like you're there with me? You know, Mm -hmm. I, I, I really wanted this to be quite intimate. Um, of a book and so which is scary obviously yeah,
0: yeah. well it really um, is and also the other thing is I, I'm noticing it in my own reaction to for example the grape fanta and hummingbirds is that it also gives me as a reader a moment to pause mm-hmm. it gives me a moment even within within that selection of words and the description you're basically inviting me or giving me a reason to just slow down for a second because Mm -hmm. I must be gentle around children and I must be gentle around hummingbirds.
1: Yes, exactly. And we were gentle to each other. It's like, you know, siblings fight all the time. And just when we're just sitting there, like just feeding each other little bits of soda, like that's so sweet. And just, you know, I'll never, and now that, you know, my, my brother is on his like later thirties now and, and I, it's, even though I think of him always perpetually as five years old, like (laughs) I feel that's still that tenderness that the image is so stuck in my mind. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think also for a lot of memoirists, there is this like almost feels like we're like collectors or, um, you know, we're just collecting little scenes, little moments. um, Mm -hmm. And to bring that back to life over time, that's really kind of magic, if you really think about it, to try to like, transport yourself way back mm-hmm. then into that moment and see how you can bring it into the future. That's the time travel part of memoir mm-hmm. is also fascinating to me. Just mm-hmm. like being able to to kind of reflect on moments from so long ago in your adult, like, you know, self, I'm 39. And so it's kind of really special to kind of be able to look at that younger version of myself and say, like, what does she know, then that I actually have forgotten, you know, mm-hmm. like, what she, can she teach me? And I, I think... I'm always curious about finding wisdom, not just from my mom who shows up a lot in the book as that kind of character who, who always like soothes me, you know, when things go awry, but it's, it's also my younger self. There's something about her that I, I'm, I miss a little bit of her.
0: Yeah. 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 Do you feel like you want to read that section we talked about and and maybe set it up? I mean, it's early in the book, but Mm -hmm. um, go ahead and have at it.
1: Thank you so much. Yeah, there's this one section. It's from the chapter Meet Me Tonight in Atlantic City, which is the title chapter. And in this moment, um, my mom um, and I and my brother and my dad, I suppose, but he's gone in the casino in that velvet world. And we are kind of at Caesar's Palace. And um, yeah, it's just kind of one of those, those kind of moments where we're just kind of waiting for my dad to come out of the casino. Here is one scene, on the shore of many. On the way back to Caesars, my mother sits on a boardwalk bench, the dune grass behind her like the back of a throne. From her purse, stolen bread rolls from the palace court buffet. She chews out all her anger on those bread rolls, gnarls in the crust. Soft middles demolished along her patent leather heels, digging into boardwalk cracks seagulls swarm around her in full praise, glitter of the boardwalk. I'm tired, mommy. I whine, pulling on her earrings with my sandy hands. Next year, her earlobes will split open from two heavy earrings. The infection will heal and yield a scar I will grow jealous of. Tell that to daddy. The sky is all lavender and dragon fruit. Everywhere around us, people gawk at the swirling sky and take pictures. Later, when I ask my mother for baby pictures of me, she'll tell me we were too poor to afford a camera. She'll simply repeat, I held you up. You didn't blink and had the biggest eyes I've ever seen. I'm afraid she knows too much. I lean my head against her sharp shoulders, which will always vacillate between sharpening and softening. Steven joins the seagulls and starts eating breadcrumbs off the ground. What's it like in there? Where daddy goes, I ask her. My mother stares at my brother. He has my father's eyes big and shining like a dying flashlight. He will grow to be as tall as my father, six feet to be exact. He will be a handsome man who has to shave every day, stubble sprouting like fine bristles. But at this moment, his tongue is speckled with sand and gluten. Stop that right now, my mother screams at him. Stop that. Stop that. Soon, Stephen is wailing, and that unrelenting sound answers all my questions. Meanwhile, an off-duty clown strolls down the boardwalk with his date for the night. She is holding one of his oversized bowling pins and laughing like something is stuck in her belly. Chilly wind cuts through the sand, and the boardwalk shifts underneath our feet. Was winter coming? Yes, but not now. Her hair is coiled cotton candy. Show me that new trick she sings in the dwindling light. I did not know at that time what my mother thought of Atlantic City, what she thought of that fake blue sky at Caesars, of transparent lettuce with Russian dressing, of my father, a man she barely knew, throwing money on a table for something utterly intangible. Not long ago, she was a farm girl, sucking on sugar cane after hiking up the mountains to gather wood for the stove. This is before she was arranged to marry my father at 19. My father, a tall stranger who moved to a country where a piece of plastic could buy a car. My mother's name, because she's real, Jin Ai. The scene continues for Jin Ai, but not for us. At 6 a.m., my mother wakes up from a dream in a language she doesn't yet understand. Hey, gorgeous, hey, pretty lady, hey, baby. She walks past our sleeping forms, consumed in white down feathers, and pulls on her heels with purpose, She takes the elevator to the first floor. She walks into that red velvet room and follows what her heart does not desire. My father is whiskey-eyed and half asleep, a drowsy raccoon hunched over the blackjack table. His shirt is unbuttoned, one too many, and his empty wallet is an open window. My mother clenches her fists and imagines raising them to the fake sky above. Her eyes swirl like a whirlpool. No one will ever know if she's crying. My father doesn't say her name or look up. One more game. Dozens of floors above, we are still dreaming. K.O. K.O. K.O.
0: Thank you. Oh, wow. So I i was wondering, we have talked a little bit about the tenderness between you and your brother, and there is tenderness for I mean, everything that you turn your attention to, and of course, the brother, the relationship between the two of you is heartbreaking and beautiful, and of course, your love for your mother, which it's funny, because when I started reading your book, I thought, oh, there's going to be some, you know, difficulty with the mom, or there's going to be the typical memoir subject Mm -hmm. of, you know, Mm -hmm. a, a loss of a relationship with the mom, but actually, your mom is this this guiding force for you this sort of anchor for you and you're right it's it does seem like a love story to mm-hmm. her did you did you have to cut material in this did you in the manuscript, did you find that you had too much or that there was any redundancy or is everything? I mean, this sounds so silly of me to ask you, but because you are a poet and because you worked so deeply with these details, I'm wondering, did you end up having too much or did you really pretty much have what you needed?
1: That's a great question. There were definitely moments that I took out only because I felt like it wasn't necessarily leading to the to the place that I needed to go sometimes I think Mm. that for instance I was thinking about this this one moment where my my mom and I oh sometimes I always forget too it's like is it in the memoir (laughs) (laughs) right "Uh." right (laughs) but um you know we are taking photographs together and and putting on her outfits from um kind of many many years ago and she kind of has like this archive of of all her clothes and You know, it's kind of like who wore it best. And I was just trying to like, in many ways, I love that scene because we're just like stripping down to our underwear and just putting on clothes. She was like, oh, this is the outfit I wore, you know, when I went back to China for the first time since I left. Like, oh, this was the outfit, you know, that I wore to the casinos like the first time I went. Like we did that whole thing. We just stayed all day in her closet and just played dress up and I wore the outfit I also took a photo of her wearing it and I took a photo of me wearing it and so it was just kind of this funny thing and my brother walks in um kind of into the middle of it and he's just like what's going on and I'm just like you know we're just kind of like do you want to do you also want to put this outfit on (laughs) Uh, it was very sweet and so I don't know I can't even remember if that made it into the book but it's so funny it feels almost like what made it in what didn't make it in um it's it's like okay in some weird way. In mm. my mind it still exists, even if it's not in the book, it just is like um almost like a propagation pup off a plant. Like I'm just mm-hmm. like, oh, maybe it was in there, maybe it wasn't. I have no memory of that. But mm-hmm. um but, but, it, but
0: it got you to this place or exactly, created the whole, right? Exactly.
1: That the things that were on the cutting room floor aren't on the cutting room floor for me. Obviously the reader may not know that, mm-hmm. but for me it feels like it's still part of the book. Um and mm-hmm. I still uh, in terms of revision, I really think a lot about not so much in terms of like what we always need to like strip away or what's working or not working, but rather kind of like how to build the, the, the our arteries or the heart of the book. And so that's why sometimes I had to take some things out because it wasn't quite leading to the heart. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I still love those moments too, like whatever it was that I, I didn't include.
0: Yes, yes. And also like, yeah, nothing is wasted, right? It's just not it it may show up again, it might, it might have brought you closer to the next time you write about it or think about it. I was thinking about the way you depict the vulnerability Mm. and the pain. I have a really soft spot for I don't know how to say it, but the vulnerability of children. I don't mean yes. a soft spot, but I i feel very worried about that. Right. The vulnerability of anyone or anything that can't advocate for themselves yet. And I think that its it's so searing sometimes when a writer does this and you can really feel the the trap that a child might be in or an animal might be in or the way that they have so little recourse and you talk a bit about this and there's this section about the mosquitoes and i was hoping (laughs) you could set it up a little and talk about it because i also really want to discuss after we're done the way that you can capture moments like this Thank
1: you for saying that. I, I feel the same way and, and
0: kind of like, want to just like give my
1: younger self a big, big hug. You know, mm-hmm. like I think about trying to go back into time and and also giving my mom, my mom as a younger self a hug. If only if, if only I can meet her when she was, you know, 10 years old and living through the cultural revolution. And, mm-hmm. you know, I just think about all that she has survived to. But yes, uh, the this chapter, To Love a Mosquito, is really and a chapter that's really for my brother and just thinking about tenderness and, and trying to find that, um, I don't know, that connection of, you know, sweetness or vulnerability together, I guess, as we were kids and what it means to, in terms of how we've grown up since then and how we've carried some of that trauma, but, but also like how do we work through it too, as a team, I suppose. And I will, you know, the section I'll read, I I'm always just kind of like, I can't believe some of these things have happened. You know, it's one of those things where I'm just like, oh my gosh. Um, I always want to say in a memoir, I'm just like, this happened. I was like, well, obviously it's a memoir. But I guess in poetry, we don't have to necessarily tell the truth, so it's different. Um, okay, this is from To Love a Mosquito. Was our game cruel? Was it so bad to want to seek revenge? This is our blood, I kept saying to myself. It belongs to us. This was different from scenes on TV with kids burning ants with magnifying glasses and chasmaclysmic sun. Or at least I wanted to believe we were kinder than that. Once, one of my creative writing students wrote about how she put her goldfish in a peanut butter jar as a kid, half peanut butter, half water, just to see what it would do. We were in week one of our nonfiction unit. During office hours, I asked her, what is the emotional weight here? What did you glean from this later in life? Is this connected to another scene you haven't written yet? She shook her head and chewed at her long hair. I don't know, and I'm scared that I don't know. I told her to write that down, and then I asked her if it was creamy or chunky peanut butter. To support the righteousness of our cruelty, we could tell ourselves whatever we wanted, like we needed to kill the mosquitoes in order to eradicate disease, or we needed to kill them to bond with each other. We needed to ruin the walls to be noticed by our parents. And what do we notice if we don't turn away? Look at you and me, look. What courses through a family, slithering underneath the carpet like some other kind of undesirable insect, something worse than a mosquito? The gambling debts, the cheating, the hands raised, the disappearing, everything we didn't know that led to all of this. Half-lit knowledge. What scares a family into silence? My parents were at war with each other from the moment they were arranged to be married. My brother and I inherited this war and witnessed cannons daily. My father accused my mother of cheating. My mother said he spent all her money at the strip club. They hurled names at each other in twice-unused words we didn't know that nonetheless held a guttural ache. My father held my mother's shoulders to stop her from screaming. My mother packed her suitcase again and again, throwing silk, tulle, and polyester everywhere. The little wars in our family, the little fires igniting around us like a garden of deadly nightshade. What terrified me the most is when my parents stopped screaming. Silence, a dark field I wouldn't dare to trespass, whether I was invisible or not. What we remember, what we don't want to remember. My mother kept a lot of danger hidden from us, and what I saw, I knew, I in turn kept from my brother. We were a domino triptych. A protective triumvirate. Days after our father left, my brother dug out his old dinosaur toys from a broken cardboard box and lined them up on his windowsill, a parade of vegetarians, a green brontosaurus and an orange stegosaurus one after the other, in case he forgets which house is ours, because once or twice my father shook a stegosaurus and my brother and smiled. How swiftly a life can change, how easily. We can kill a mosquito with the palm of our hands just like that. And just like that, my father's gambling debts pile so high, they become a mountain no one can climb, and a restaurant fails and we must go. My mother almost gets laid off because the local postal facility closes. She adds two hours to her commute each day and works night shift. For so many years, she develops vertigo. Just like that, her cochlea wobbles and she vomits, but she refuses to go to the hospital. She stays at home and we stay with her. Everything happens so quickly, time collapses. My brother and I forgot to, th- to grow up.
0: Thank you. So I'm curious about capturing, and this is more than obviously pain or cruelty, there's so much here, of course, but what is it like for you when you're writing material that might hurt? Uh, Mm -hmm. how do you calibrate yourself as a writer and then a person after who's done writing that material and and has to rejoin the world? What is it like to invite these experiences to take up more space in you?
1: That's such a beautiful question and one that has so many layers to it. I think that my number one thing as a writer is that the writing space to me is kind of sacred and that I don't want to harm myself ever when I write. So in many ways, I have to be ready to do that work. Or if I'm afraid to do that work, um, especially writing about difficult things, especially domestic violence in my family, but also in my own life as an adult, um, is that, you know, I I write about having difficulty writing it. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that that's one way to keep myself kind of safe or at least fully transparent in terms of how it feels to do that work. Because it's scary, obviously, to kind of look back at the past and, and see what we didn't know then, and so especially in that one moment um, where you know my mother protected us from a lot of the, the violence that my father kind of inflicted on, upon her, she didn't share a lot of that until I was an adult and had that violence inflicted upon me in my intimate relationships, and that was really powerful that she you know finally shared with me, and that was very scary to write about. Um, but I think that writing about those moments of of fear and and danger and violence really come down to you know how do i i don't want to make it beautiful it's just sometimes where poetry can fail me in in Mm -hmm. those moments because there's no way to to write it in a way that can can make some sort of beauty or resilience out of it instead for me it's trying to get closer to the feeling of trying to write about it the the difficulty the the psychic harm sometimes we feel when we go back to those spaces i think i really want to respect and and kind of honor i think what it means for writers to write about these difficult things because you know i want to make my make sure that my myself like i'm safe in those moments too Mm -hmm. i think for especially my family in all this too it's interesting because like a lot of this book happens after the book you know after Mm -hmm. i wrote it and how my mom experienced the book and she um finally but this is the first book she's read of mine really um because mm. you know i recorded the audiobook due to a language barrier like she would kind of read half of the book but then uh, listen to it and um my brother did read um uh, to love a mosquito um just that one actually which
0: is funny i'm just like <laughs> okay oh he told you that's all he read yes
1: that's all that's all he read well, um, how, what that, was that,
0: what is that like for you
1: it's so weird. I mean, I think. I mean, it came out as a separate essay before, mm-hmm. and I've changed it a bit. But um, I told him this one was for him specifically, and so I think he just like zoomed in on that one and was like, "That's all I need,"
0: <laughs> which is <laughs> hilarious. But.
1: Oh. Well I mean isn't
0: it hard it's hard to go back right it's for hard. for them like you choose to go back in yes. your writing but it's like I was actually you must you must be really in in tune with me because I was going to next ask you how your brother and mom are now mm-hmm. and how they they received this
1: Yes I think that my brother in particular I think for him it's it's really hard um to mm. to read that particular chapter because he still has a lot of unresolved you know, feelings yeah. with our father. And I hadn't seen my father in maybe 16 years or so. And um, he lives really close to my brother, pretty close um, in New Jersey, and, and they don't see each other. Honestly, after this book came out, I, I kind of felt like I needed to see him. Mm-hmm. And so my brother and I went to go see him and he had had a stroke and we had just found out and it was a really emotional, um, Mm -hmm. trip to go see my father at the rehabilitation center. Um, but I don't think I would have been able to do that, uh, if I didn't write the book and if my brother didn't come with me. And so in many ways, like my brother still has those, those moments of trying to reach out to my dad. Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, he, he, I think he really, uh, is grateful. I think to, for me to kind of like try to put, it into words, Mm -hmm. what estrangement can do. Mm -hmm. Um, He's such a tender, tender person. Like he's, I think that, that chapter really speaks well, to Well it does come max. across.
0: It's funny, like it just well, maybe it's like the tenderness that is on the page about you two. Yeah. Because you know, you never sentimentalize anything. Mm. You're not like, Oh, he was so adorable and no. he was so little. and like <laughs> you don't do that, but I see that, you know, mm-hmm. I understand what you're doing and I also I'm an older sister as well, mm-hmm. so I have that sort of protective thing. Yes. And also the cruelty, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I have both. Well, what about the guys you write about in here Oh. Are you aware of any of them having read it or know about it? Did anyone reach out to you and say, I know you wrote about me or?
1: Nope. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank goodness. No. And I, you know, it was definitely a, a hard decision whether or not to to keep it kind of in my childhood or kind of dive into my own intimate, you know, uh, relationships, romantic relationships. And I kind of felt like I needed to go there because like that is tied to it all. I mean, it's all mm-hmm. intermingled. Um, and there's only one of my exes that's named, um, who's mm-hmm. still a close friend of mine, Nick, and, and, Nick read it. And it is so special, I think, to, to kind of like look back at those particular moments and realize like, you know, the m- m- mistakes that we, we both made. And, you know, I think people always, whenever the book is, like, out and about in the world, people are always just like, how's Nick? <laughs> I was like, Nick's doing great. He's so the, funny. He's the Poet laureate of Wisconsin. And he's, he's got two beautiful kids and a lovely wife. And he's just, you know, I think, you know, in many ways, like, I, it was definitely an act of bravery to kind of write, especially about um, yeah. my own relationships and um, how that gets very entangled, uh, very much so with you know our own familial relationships uh-huh. and patterns that we notice across time too, and so yeah. And my mom is especially very, very uh, proud of the book. I was, I mean, in many ways, her review was the only one that mattered to me, of uh-huh. sorts. And she really said that she really thought the book was funny at parts, and that it was, it felt very emotionally true. And it is in many ways. It was the most honest I've been um, uh-huh. in any of my writing. But she was so funny there's this one moment where she was also just kind of like you know like well maybe there should be more more scenes with me in it. i was like the whole,
0: <laughs> the whole book is you she's so funny Ooh. yeah she, she definitely is. is funny like you can tell how funny she is and she's, how funny the two of you are together right
1: she's like she's she's a little critical of longmom.com which is a made-up character in the book and it's my mom my fake mom that lives in the internet that gives life <laughs> advice and she's just like well mom.com is like fine but like I'm the real mom so like if we had to battle like I would win I was like well there's no battle though so it's just funny she's she's reacted to it pretty in a hilarious way so
0: gosh when you're reading memoir Mm -hmm. or we can just expand that to any genre and there are not a lot of details or a lot of particular descriptions Mm -hmm. does it frustrate you that's a great question. It
1: sure does. <laughs> it really does. And it it, it actually um, it actually makes me feel kind of like, oh, this book is about something. And my book is kind of moving us through something. Um, uh, and I yeah. love memoirs that move me through something. Mm-hmm. And that's fine to have a book about something. That's that's totally okay. It's just not my thing, I suppose. I, I, mm-hmm. I think about the books that I read in preparation for this memoir, like writing the memoir, and it was very hybrid. Like I read a lot mm-hmm. of memoir, poetry, fiction. I just kind of read all over the place, the cookbooks in preparation mm-hmm. for it because I, I really wanted to kind of test the boundaries of description, but also like structure and craft. And so you're right, it does it does kind of break my heart (laughs) a little bit. I'm like, just just I just Please put me in that scene. A I bit was just more. gonna say
0: that. I was gonna say, just put me there, please. please. Don't tell me about it. Yes, like tell it, me like that. give it to me. Yes, um, exactly. Yeah, so what are those memoirs? I'd love to know, uh, I know you probably read so broadly, but what are some memoirs that you'd like to suggest, you know, listeners who are tuning in might check out that, that you felt were really helpful or that you love?
1: Oh my gosh, yes, I have so many books. <laughs> especially as someone who also teaches Asian American literature and pretty passionate about Asian American mm-hmm. memoir in particular. But uh definitely read Kat Chow's Seeing Ghosts while writing this. Uh, Grace Cho's Tastes Like War. Um I always teach Michelle Zonners Crying in H Mart. Mm-hmm. I think my students really resonate with that book in particular. Um I talk a lot about Teresa Hokkien Chow's dictate also in the in the book as kind of a formative book for me as a poet but also as a memoirist but also as an artist. Like it's it's very, very hybrid. It's hard. It's like, what does it even mean to read that book? I have no idea. Mm-hmm. It's more of experiencing it. Um, and then I also read Brandon Shimoda's The Grave on the Wall, and that's a very hybrid memoir because it also includes poetry, prose, photographs. Uh, yeah, I just I just that really love great. that
0: mm-hmm. mixture.
1: Um and so, yeah, those are just a few. but okay, just I'm, a few, just yeah. As a, as, just as an Asian American <laughs> Studies professor, I'll just throw that out there. Okay, like,
0: <laughs> thank you. I know it must be so hard. It's like choosing children or something. What advice would you like to give to writers who are working on their memoirs?
1: Oh, my gosh. Uh, I think that, for me, um,
0: the word that really,
1: like, uh, stands out to me as I was writing, and I was thinking about the word constellation a lot, like, um like making constellations as you write so like drawing those lines of connection like building those patterns through Im- images or themes mm-hmm. like i found the hardest thing about writing a memoir honestly was putting it together
0: mm-hmm. it wasn't
1: that hard to write scenes and it wasn't hard to try to you know maybe stay longer in those scenes but like how do i build it as a larger book mm-hmm. like that was a huge struggle for me and so it really helped to think about how do i constellate it all together like what is the the through line here and mm-hmm. to really ask yourself like you know what is that for you and that sometimes can be a place where you can experiment like you know that's when you go maybe into the archives and use some photographs and or mm-hmm. you know for me it was wongmom.com like making up a character was that attempt to <laughs> constellate um but I think that uh I would suggest trying to to take some of those risks in that constellating act when you're in the process of actually tying it all together. Um, that's like, I guess that was kind of giving advice to myself too, I just kind of like, it was the hardest thing. I don't know if you felt that way too, but it just like yeah, putting it all together. Oh yeah. Ooh. I mean,
0: even in the beginning, I didn't even, I felt really stymied by, okay, well, if I don't know the structure, how do I even begin? I mean, right. really, I just, I felt very hampered by that. Mm. And then once I figured out kind of what I was going to do, I felt really free to play. Like I felt like I was just like running around and, and having fun like in a field. Cause I knew right. that this was the, the limits of the field, you know, yes. but for Yes, I would imagine, because really there aren't too many wrong choices. It's right. just different choices, which I think is kind of what you're saying.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, like, I think, like, taking, I guess, a risk in those choices, too. Like, if you're building a pattern or a through line or something like that, like, um, that it doesn't stay stable the whole time. Like, it can always, you can always kind of twist it a little bit. I think also what helped me um, also in terms of some advice for Those of you who are working on memoir, like, is really to call, like, call people or like talk to people in real time. Like, there's something about memoir that sometimes is always in the past, and I, I really want to move the present into Mm -hmm. memoir. And so sometimes when I literally was like stuck on a scene, I would call my mom and just be like, just tell me one memory you haven't told me. Mm -hmm. And it was just like, there you have it. Like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'll just write that down. So trying to move the present as much as possible or like real time uh i don't know research or real time uh like taking notes into the memoir i think that helped me a lot so i didn't have to feel almost like like it was heavy to only stay in the past
0: and it helped yeah. a lot to
1: be in the present actually
0: yeah and i also i think it sort of reflects that idea that the the reason why we're writing about it in part is because of the impact these past events had on us exactly. so when we actually invite more of the past into our present day life we're sort of kind of integrating the memoir writing experience
1: precisely precisely and it just feels less um yeah just less heavy i suppose Mm -hmm. to, to always kind of feel like you have to follow whatever uh, structure you created for yourself that only exists in the past. Like it feels you can take a walk and, you know, have that be in the memoir too. Like, whatever, yes, you know? yes, or exactly.
0: Not. Call it out, talk about it, incorporate it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So where can people find you? Where's the best place to find your work and your book and you?
1: Yeah, I'm um, only on, I think, like, Instagram at this point. I've never joined Twitter. <laughs> like, I somehow missed all of Twitter. Um, well, you know, but...
0: you, you haven't really missed much because I have a lot of people that loved it and are leaving.
1: Yes, it, that's what I was mm-hmm. – that was just what I was thinking. I was like, well, maybe it worked out somehow. Yeah. Um, but uh, my Instagram handle has nothing to do with my name. It's just at Parade of Cats, which I just think is funny. <laughs> um, I just grew up with cats uh, growing oh. up. And my website's just uh, janewongwriter.com. I did buy the domain for wongmom.com, so she <laughs> will exist. Um, and she'll be, That's awesome. Uh, you'll be able to ask her questions. Um, it kind of looks like an AOL chat box. It's very uh, nostalgic, retro. From yeah, the, that's the so 90. exciting. Yes. And at least in Seattle, uh, some wonderful local bookstores here. Elliott Bay, of course, Third Place Books and Open Books. And there's so many other wonderful bookstores I can shout out. Um, but those are my some of my favorite local ones here in Seattle. But, um, but yeah, I'm otherwise sort of around. I, I feel like I'm definitely touch and go with social
0: media. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's probably better for us writers, right? I spend a little too much time on their posting for the podcast, but that I feel like I need to do. So thank you so much for being my guest and for sharing generously with me and, and being willing to talk about so many facets of writing this beautiful book. And, uh, you know, just thank you for bringing it into my life.
1: Thank you so much for just like, uh, I don't know, it's like, really open questions, Ronit. I feel kind of like
0: um, I could talk to you forever, actually. just- (laughs) Oh, I love talking to you. I mean, I just was like, I knew it was gonna be like this, though. I just had a feeling. I mean, if you write like that, I just knew I was gonna love talking with you. Thank you. It's
1: been totally a highlight
0: of my, my whole month, so thank you. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Let's Talk Memoir. For more about this episode and my guest, please visit the link in the show notes or on Instagram at Ronit Plank. That's R-O-N-I-T-P-L-A-N-K. You can also follow me on Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok. If you liked this episode of Let's Talk Memoir, please go ahead and share it with your friends and subscribe. And if you have two more seconds, you can rate and review it on Apple Podcasts, which really does help other people find the show.